0: I love this episode. This was a really good episode. What number is it? 69. Uh-oh. Should have done it about sex, right? Oh, well. Next time. Um, but this is Jocelyn and her friend Anne. Jocelyn recommended I have Anne on as a guest because Anne uh, and her husband and family went through um, something horrible. They lost a child two days after birth. Um just terrible. I can't imagine what that is like, but she has created a website called, oh, what's it called again? Onwardstories.com slash wife, W-I-F-E, like wife of the party, uh, where she helps people write stories about the child they've lost and kind of helps them prepare themselves for talking to people. When uh inevitably you have to talk to people about what's happened. What a, what an amazing thing she's giving back to the world after suffering such a tragedy. She's a positive, optimistic, lovely person. I am so glad I got to talk with her. I always enjoy talking with Jocelyn, who's also a positive, happy, lovely person. And um and tells the story of of her son and the after uh, aftermath of her son's death and how it led her to starting this business. So, if you know anyone who's lost a child, I'm sure not even after just after birth or even lost someone close to you and you need help, you know, kind of formulating how to move forward with people and and want to put their story down on paper, definitely check out her website onwardstories.com slash wife um, I hope you enjoy this episode please share it if you know someone who could use this conversation in their life um, I feel so grateful that she that she shared it with us so I hope you enjoy it as much as, as I do and thank you for showing up every week thank you so much I wrote My bicycle passed your window last night You're talking before we'll just start here sure. about uh, the resilience podcast we just released last week I think, yeah um and how you liked it i really loved it Thank um you. i felt like well
1: as i was saying jocelyn i know you're a great parent and what i admire about your parenting style is that you do it your way and you always have like ever since you were pregnant with Junie, i just remember you just saying how you wanted to raise your kids and you just re- had a really clear idea of how to do that Um, And then in the podcast, Leanne, when you were giving all these examples of how you parent your daughters, I mean, I was learning a lot because my oldest is 10. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I was really picking up on this tricky stage that we're at because it was a lot easier for me when they were younger. I feel like my best parenting uh, ability years are like up to toddler age. And then once they start, like, navigating friendships and and really fighting back on stuff that's where i really struggle because probably because of my <laughs> upbringing where like i want to not be so strict i want them to feel free i want them to be able to do what they want to do and be their own people but i liked hearing your way of sort of being very clear about expectations and the reasoning behind that right
0: yeah i mean i hear i hear you what i got the friend the here's what was hard for me is parenting the poor parenting of other parents when their Mm -hmm. kids would come over and the kid would come over and have this whole set of behaviors that was not okay in my house Mm -hmm. let's just say hitting for an example obviously they weren't hitting really in elementary school but how to that was one of my biggest challenges is then now i'm parenting someone else's kid and, and I have to go back and reparent my own kid because now they've seen this behavior and went, yeah. ooh, that looks kind of nice. I think <laughs> yeah. I'll do that. They they I used to call it trying on different behaviors. They're trying mm. on their friend's behavior, and uh, you know, like a costume. Oh, yes. she smarted off to mom. Let me try that right. on. No, would that be right. good? <laughs> and now you're parenting another parent's poor parenting. Right. That uh, would make me crazy. Not that everybody needs to parent the same, but I, felt, I feel like there's some basic rules of society that we all have to go by. Yes. We all have to follow the law, right? Yes. It, it, you, you can't drive when you're 14. It's against the law. Mm-hmm. You can't steal. It's against the law. You can't hit someone. <laughs> it's against the law. Right. So it's kind of a good way base to start where this isn't even my rule. Mm-hmm. This is the rule society has come up with that you have to comply with. So how do I start teaching you that when you're four, right? Yeah hitting is an assault when you're an adult <laughs> so right. let's cut the assault off yeah. at four
1: when it's still okay yeah i've used that example too like you can't hit because when you're an adult and you hit you go to jail that's exactly right <laughs> yeah that's exactly right yeah.
0: i don't know parenting is is i think when you don't have a roadmap it's easier sometimes and sometimes it's harder you can put your feet on the couch okay oh, Make I, ju- I just did um good that's no, fine um <laughs> I don't know. Not having a roadmap makes it where you can just make it up as you go, as long as you stay in integrity with Mm -hmm, yourself, right? mm -hmm. Make sure that that parenting lines up with your own integrity. And not everybody's is the same. You know, Homework doesn't matter as much in your house as it does in mine. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's just different. Well,
2: yeah. And I mean, I've been thinking about that conversation because it's (laughs) so interesting how... We like we have very similar values and how yeah. there are two different ways of approaching it. Yeah. But I also like me for me it's always been the number one thing is modeling. So right. no matter what, I have to show up in the way that I want my kids to show up. Right. And I think before I had kids it was so interesting because I was really judgy of like parents who were um like not, like they they appeared to be letting their kids get away with things because they weren't screaming at them. Right. Right. And now I'm like, I don't want my kids to scream at people. That's just not okay. I want them to always be calm and respectful, even if not always be calm and respectful. But for the most part, I want them to be calm and composed and respectful, even when they disagree with somebody. Right. So that's been interesting to, I now I like see other people's eyes on me when I'm like letting my kids get away with things. And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I actually know what I'm doing here.
0: Right. I think. I
2: think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> right, right. This is strategic.
0: Yeah. This is strategic. This is we're winning the war, not the battle. Inside, right?
2: I'm raging. Right.
0: Right. Wait till yeah. I get home. Right. I have a dummy that looks like both my kids in the closet and I beat the shit out of them. And I feel so much better. Oh, wouldn't that be nice if we yeah. could do that? And you make them watch. And well, then now that now that may not be an integrity for me. But the big Eating the shit out of them secretly? Yeah, I'd be down for you'd that. You'd be okay for 100%. Okay. Oh, I would be decapitated by now. She'd have no head at all. Um, but this is not why we're here to talk no. today. No. So tell me why we're here. Okay. Well, we're
1: here because um, Jocelyn and I... <laughs> Jocelyn has been a friend of mine for a long time. And so I started working on um, this idea I had um, for... Helping women who have experienced baby loss, mm-hmm. so miscarriage, stillbirth, or infant loss, tell their stories. Right. Um, and that came about in a very long and windy way um, after the birth of my fourth child. His name was Michael. Mm-hmm. And he was full term when he was born. He lived for two days mm-hmm. and he had a, a condition called congenital diaphragmatic hernia. And so that's when the diaphragm, when the baby's developing, doesn't grow all the way across. And the intestines sort of migrate into the lung area, preventing the lungs from growing. Mm. So they are fine in the womb. I mean, they have everything they need. And then once they're born, it's a matter of finding out whether this child has enough lung capacity to survive. And so the survival rate is about 50%. Mm -hmm. And so we knew from 20 weeks of pregnancy um, that he might not survive. So you knew
0: when you were pregnant.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. And um, we were still extremely hopeful. And, um, you know, I know with the topic of resilience, it was like that to me, when we got that diagnosis, I was still just like, oh, we'll beat this. You know, like I 100% thought like that 50% of people who lose their babies, like that's not us. We're going to do everything we can do. We go to UCLA hospital and they'll take care of it. Um, and Jocelyn, you were on the email list where I like had my little email campaign and I was like, everyone, here's what's going on and we would like you guys to say prayers, you know, whatever you can do, to send good vibes, whatever. I didn't say good vibes. People wrote back and said, We'll send good vibes. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> Right. We'll do our best. We won't pray. We'll do our best. Um, No, but people were very extremely supportive. And I just really saw it at first as just like this thing to overcome. And we were going to make sure to overcome it. And so we went to um, UCLA, which was phenomenal. And they said there's this experimental surgery in Houston um, where... It really sounds experimental, too. Um, They do an in utero surgery of inserting a balloon, a balloon, little teeny tiny balloon into the baby's mouth. What? And you leave it there. I know it sounds like I'm making it up, but I'm not. Um, How do they even figure out how to do that? I don't know. I don't know. But they discovered that when they do that, the amniotic fluid that normally like freely goes in and out of the mouth, that way it would um, create pressure for the lungs to have to push down and grow. Wow. Yeah. So we went and talked to this doctor and it was, I I haven't checked to see like how far this has come now Mm because this was five years ago almost. But at the time it just sounded really out there. Yeah. Um, And the survival rates weren't that much better. Like it was almost definitely you would go into preterm labor because of this. And so you're child would not be full-term. And, you know, we just thought this doesn't really feel like a fit for us. We'd right. rather um, just kind of stay the course and whatever, whatever happens, happens with this baby. Um, And somewhere in there, I mean, I was, I really was praying a lot. I was just like constantly reading spiritual stuff and, and I don't know, thinking about how to think about it overall. And somewhere in there, Mark and I, thankfully, I feel this was a lucky thing that we both kind of decided to stop working so much to create an outcome because uh. we felt that it was really, in the end, it's it's not it's not in our hands. Of course, it's not in our hands, right. but it's not even our desire. You know, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and so, um we kind of thought of it as, you know, we had three older kids at the time, so that's my 10-year-old, 9-year-old and 7-year-old. And they just like your kids, they came out and they had their own agenda. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. they are their own person. They are their own they clearly have their own path to something that we don't know what it is yet. But that's kind of um that's kind of his story too you know that's michael's story so we just said we don't know like what is in store for him but we're just gonna be open to whatever it is so then um when he was born he got hooked up to machines right away um and it seemed like he was doing okay because whatever numbers they're looking at like the oxygenation and the heartbeat and all that stuff was okay but um, this, the second night they said, you know, these numbers are not looking good anymore. And sometimes there's a honeymoon period when the baby's born mm-hmm. and it looks like everything's good and you're going to be okay. And so, I mean, I just, we totally thought like, okay, we're in the clear. He's going to be in the hospital for a while. Maybe we'll have to do this like surgery to fix the diaphragm because that that's very common for kids with CDH who are born. Um, they'll like patch it up if if there's enough lung tissue. They right. can patch it and then... Sometimes there are more surgeries, but like they can still live a normal life. So um, they did an MRI the next day and they said we couldn't, we didn't really see any lung tissue. Oh my goodness. I know. So they said, there's just no way like he, his lungs will sustain his organs and you need to think about saying goodbye. And they said, we'll try one more machine to see if it will like prolong um, his um, levels so that he could grow some lung tissue. But when they tried that machine, that did not work either. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the hospital, I mean, the staff was so incredibly amazing at like helping us say goodbye to him. Um, And until then, I had been really, I don't know if I, I guess it was until the second day where I thought like, okay, we're going to be taking this kid home and here we go. Um, I don't know. It didn't really hit me until we were holding him in the hospital and they said, okay, let us know when you're ready and we'll remove the tubes and everything. So that's, that was the very emotional part of that experience. Um, It was also just incredibly, I mean, I don't know if you guys have been around someone who's died, but like to just be there in that moment Mm. is is unbelievable, you know, to get to be with somebody as they die. Right. Um, and my, I didn't, I wasn't like, I just wasn't really equipped, I feel like, to to know how to handle that. And I just remember my husband being so amazing and like talking to him, you know, and saying, you're going to be okay. Oh, I wasn't expecting to get emotional here, but... It's okay, there's two. But look at Leanne, she's just such a good listener. She's just there, you're present. It's not, I can tell it's not like something that...
0: Well, it's it's, a very um, difficult story to hear. It's, you know, I can't imagine going through that. And I I have like 18 questions
2: already. (sighs) So many, and I want to say this too. I mean, Anne says that she wasn't prepared, but I there are a lot of things about Anne that are remarkable, but Anne's ability to like communicate what she needed and um, to kind of like model how to be in that situation was remarkable. I, at at Michael's funeral, I, and this is a hundred percent true, Anne and her husband were comforting us. Um, and I, I just am so grateful to have been, in Anne's life when this happened because she was, you know, I'm sure you hate hearing how inspirational this you were, but. Um, I don't, I don't really talk with people that much about it. I
1: mean, that's what I will be doing now. Right. Um, But honestly, first of all, I was so grateful to have you in my life because you were an incredible friend and just supporter and you were always, like willing to do anything. And I remember you were always offering to help with the kids and stuff. Um, But after we had him, like it was going home and the, the kids who were, I keep trying to remember how old they were at the time. I think they were two, four and five, something like that. Like they had no concept. No, like no. We, we took the advice of the person in the hospital. She was like a child life expert. So she said, just give them very clear information keep it brief and let them come back to you with questions which I was so freaking glad that she came and talked to me before we left the hospital so I did that and I was like um so so what I was going to say and I did say was uh, Michael was very sick and he is not coming home from the hospital and you know I know you might feel really sad we feel really sad we were really excited to have him home but he's not coming home from the hospital and I remember, they were just kind of like, "So can we watch Dinosaur Train?" Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> they just had no concept.
1: No concept, and then, the, but this is the, the humor in all this stuff. A day later, my son says, "So can we go visit him in the hospital since he's living there?" <laughs> Like, I wasn't oh, clear enough to say, he died. I mean, I didn't say that part thinking I was keeping it real basic. And like, I was a crucial piece of Maybe information. Too basic. Maybe too basic. <laughs> too basic. <laughs> so oh. we did have a lot of these like mini conversations right. over the weeks. And my youngest, Vincent, he it really did not hit home for him. And so like, of course, I still had my <laughs> pregnancy belly for a long time. And he would always be like, Patting my belly, baby, in there, Oh. <laughs> baby, in there. I'd be like, "No, he's not in there anymore. He died." And he'd be like,
2: "Baby, <laughs> you know, like you no. just didn't get it." I mean, that is one thing that you, I remember being so hit by seeing you, and you had the baby belly, and you had to pump, and you don't, yes, like people who haven't been through this don't ever realize. Oh Jesus, uh-huh. here's a woman whose body is producing milk who
0: yeah body thinks there's a baby somewhere yeah Yeah. that's right that's crazy
1: i know and so what i've what i've learned is that it can happen also with miscarriage your milk comes in stillbirth i mean i i guess i had been expecting it because when he was born i was like okay i gotta start pumping and storing my milk and like i want to keep the milk flow going and all that and then going home yeah i'm still going out to the garage for 30 minutes at a time to pump. Wait, why are you going out to the garage? Oh, our house was. Tiny. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> you need some privacy. I need, the kids were on me. Oh, right. I I was like I'm going to go to the garage. garage. You had to refinish. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. I, I this, should like, say really like not, the back <laughs> office. I, really. I not sat on a good the back image. bumper of my Volvo and, and pumped. Right.
2: <laughs> that did so I'm crazy. like this just went a totally different direction. <laughs> yeah, what the right? hell is going on? <laughs> in your Hold house, on. <laughs> on.
0: You remember where we lived. I do. I okay. do. Neighbors yes, yes. passing by. Hey, just pumping my boobs. Everything's good. No cars not broke down. I'm good.
1: That's really funny. I know i was just like some quiet time in that
2: garage <laughs> so i don't know if i ever told you this but we went um well you know this part we went to your house and took your kids to the park a couple of days after michael died and my kids must have been five and three five and two you know yeah, yeah, yeah. little little my kid. and um on the way there we were like you know the kids might be really sad just Don't bring it up, which Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have such a different, I would have such a different response now having like really talked to you about this more, but, um, you know, really just grilled it into my oldest, do not bring this up. And so of course, the minute that your oldest got in the car, my daughter says to her, are you sad about your brother dying? And she, Anne's oldest daughter just goes, "Nope." Nope. And just, yeah. Went about like, but not only that,
1: She was the one because she was the oldest. She had a, she did not like to talk about it. Mm. She did not want me bringing it up. Like, we did bring it up all the time, but when I would say, like, hey, do you want to go to the cemetery and visit, you know, visit Michael's grave? "Mm, I don't know, maybe later. Like, it was just not something she wanted to talk about. Our middle child, who was four, he wanted to talk all the time. He would openly cry. He was, he was so like in tune with his feelings
2: about it. Mm. Um, and then our youngest, like I said. He didn't, yeah. <laughs> he, was he, just, he, yeah was he was too little. Yeah, he was so too little. So interesting how much you like need to follow their lead and what great advice you got from that lady because yes. you had two well, different kids in that.
1: And with our oldest, I still, I mean, for years, it was like, okay, is this going to turn into like a psychosis for her that she's right. not talking about it? And so I remember last year, On his birthday, I was putting the kids to bed because we still put them to bed. They don't go to sleep on their own. Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
0: What do you mean, put them to bed? Like, we sit with them in the room till they fall asleep. Oh, you do? Well, you're a bad parent. Get out. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> now there's judgment. No, no, no. no. There's no judgment <laughs> I'm here. Chasing,
1: I'm chasing. We were sitting there and um, I was like, hey, it's Michael's birthday. And I thought I would tell you a little bit about his birthday and the time at the hospital because you guys were so young when it happened. And so I did talk about it. And when I got to the part of him dying, that's when she finally just let it all out. Oh. I mean, she She cried. I swear was like the first time she'd ever cried about it and it Aww. was i was so relieved yeah <laughs> yeah that she could finally like let herself feel that mm. about him
0: my oldest is that way too uh i think that she processes very privately mm. and she does not want anybody to see what's going on now the the youngest for me is like your middle It's all over her. So I wonder if she processes vicariously through her little sister to an extent, which is not necessarily completely healthy in my perspective. I think what happened with your daughter is more healthy at some point. It doesn't have to be when everybody else does it. But at some point, there has to be a a processing just for her. Mm -hmm. And it always for Georgia... Seems to become where she can no longer hold it, and yes. then it falls out. Now right. she uh, she can't just say, you know, I'm feeling really upset about something, and I'm not even sure what it is. Let's chit chat till we figure it out. Uh, no, she's like, mm-hmm. nothing's wrong with me. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. And really? Is pea soup shooting out of your mouth sometime soon? Because you are possessed. And then 15 minutes later, she'll have a full meltdown. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. And I'll go, perhaps. Could it be? Yeah, that's definitely what's happening. I'm like, Jesus, can we go back to the pea soup part and just go to this is what's happening? Or even the middle of, I don't know what's happening, but I am saying, yes, I am upset. She will fight me and say that she is not upset. When she literally is a different human being walking around my house where I go, you are so clearly, but that vulnerability for her within herself, because I'm a, I'm a pretty safe person. Mm -hmm. At least I think I am. I mean, every person I know tells me every secret they've ever had and I find it, that must be part of who I am, but she will not do that. But at a certain point, if they get it done, I think you can help them say, okay, next time maybe this is how it could be easier for you. Yeah. Not to mention me. But yeah. for you, this is would make it easier for you because there's no need to go through all that. Well, yeah, you know? and having
2: the ability to just say I'm upset and I don't know why is yeah. so important. Yeah. And it happens all the time. I mean, it happens to me and I'm uh, a grown up. There are times yeah. when I'm like, I need to figure out what's going on because I'm in a really piss poor mood. Yeah. Do you think though that um, that your daughter… Was not communicating it or do you think that in those early days it was just not something that she could wrap her head around, her head around and so she didn't have an emotion about it until later? I
1: think she she had an emotion. She didn't want to go there. Mm. I mean, for the same reasons you just said. I mean, I don't know why why she's like that where she feels she needs to be strong or not be emotional. Mm. I don't know where that comes from, but...
2: I think Jeez it was. Anna, I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> where where are that you saying come I need from? to cry more? No. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. No, not. I don't. I don't think you need to cry more. But you are very like you. You are kind of the rock. Yeah,
1: you've, you. you seem very strong. But okay, so then maybe it was my fault because <laughs> when we came back and we were talking to them, it was. I did not let myself have emotional breakdowns in front of them. Ever. Ever. I was not going to be the mom who like lost her shit. I was like, we are back in business here. We're going to
0: preschool and we're having friends over and everything's going to be just fine. Yeah, that might be. That may be. (laughs) Really, because you give them permission by modeling, Mm -hmm. right? You know, my... Grandfather died when I was six months old and Georgia was two and a half. And I said to Georgia, mommy needs to cry. I'm really sad. And I don't want you to be scared. I don't want you to think there's anything wrong. But my grandpa just died. Just like if your papa or your papa Jay died. And I'm really sad. So I'm going to go in this room and I'm going to cry for a little bit, but it's okay. And then I went in and was like, (laughs) I was so close to my grandfather. I was just wrecked when he died. Yeah. And I don't know if it helped or not, but I felt like that was the responsible thing to do from my perspective Mm. was that if I sat on that emotion, it was going to come out in a negative way somewhere else. For me, that's the way I function. Yeah. So. Well, and that's true. (laughs) So I wouldn't ever cry about that
1: in front of them. But then like, you know, something like a like a. A glass would break, and I'd have a a total meltdown.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's mom. (laughs) That's so normal, though. I think that is we 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 displace, right? We displace it, (laughs) right? Because, I mean, I had no idea if Georgia at two and a half would understand what I was talking about with my grandfather. But I was like, but I I need to at least try to let her know. But I think our instinct is to protect them and to go, I'm not going to show you. I'm not going to scare you by having mommy fall apart.
1: I think I thought of it that way, too. Like, I don't want to fall apart. Like, I can't fall apart. Yeah. What I was saying to myself, I think is totally understand. I'm just not going to fall apart for these kids. I'm going to keep going. But what you said is perfect. Like, I need to cry right now. That would have been a great thing to say once in a while. I need to go cry right now. I miss
0: Michael. I'm going to go cry in my bedroom
1: and it's going to be fine. And I'm okay.
0: (laughs) Everything's still going to be fine. (laughs) No, I never cried until I was quite old uh, ever. And then one day I was like, you know, I never cry. I'm just going to watch every single sad movie I can get my hands on Mm. and just cry Mm. because I think my body resisted it so much my whole life um, to not show emotion because that was unsafe Mm -hmm. anything but just like stoicism everything else was not okay yeah so i had to practice that and i did not want my kids to have to practice that that was just my own personal experience and perspective gained from that Mm -hmm. but i think most people's instinct would be i can't fall apart because i am the protector i'm the adult and they can't see that they're too young Mm -hmm. um i i i have some questions though can we back it up let's back it up (laughs) <laughs> so when you found this out, what was the primary emotion you felt when they said we see a problem? Um, surprise, surprise, surprise and almost
1: immediate like, OK, how do we solve this? Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, the well, the first part of what we thought might it might be was um, that it might be Down syndrome. Okay, Because the, what they identified in that 20-week ultrasound is that the, the neck fluid that they measure, which is an indicator of like chromosomal abnormalities, was high. So that's when they had us take this blood test, which is now how they do it now for the Down syndrome gene or however you say it. Um, so we took that and then you had to wait a couple days. And so during that time, we were like, okay, so he might have Down syndrome. Okay. And I remember I called my friend who had a grown... Son who had adult has Down syndrome, like asked her all about it, and then I was like, okay, well, you know, it'll be fine. We get a call, it's not Down syndrome. All right, so we go in again, and that's when they found um, the diaphragm was not growing, and so that's when, you know, yeah, I think it's common that a lot of people just go into research mode, and once you see that there's a it's I didn't see the 50% fatality I
0: see 50% right. survival you saw glass half full. so that's where we're going yeah right, right. we're I going mean, glass half full all, all way. the way right so now do you think in believing in glass half full did it make it easier or harder when it was glass half empty again it
1: was very surprising yeah. I mean I'm such an optimist I always feel like things are going to go my way not my way not like I get everything I want but that I have a positive take on things and so when that happened it was really jarring and being like okay I don't know how to make sense out of this you know right um and so I feel like since then I've just been constantly asking myself like what's the meaning of all this like in the grand scheme of my life what does this mean like what What is the purpose? What are we supposed to learn from this experience? So that's, again, me trying to be like, okay, it was not lemonade. It was lemons, but still. How can
0: I make lemonade? How can I make lemonade out of this? That's a true optimist yeah that's it really is a true optimist to try and make lemonade out of every situation possible which is pretty healthy i think in a lot of ways maybe in some ways you need to go i fucking got lemons yeah are you kidding me i didn't deserve lemons and have that moment because that's part of the truth too you didn't you nobody wants to go through that it's terrible it sounds terrible yeah heartbreaking uh devastating um bewildering i would be the same way i would be trying to find a solution yeah and i would be convinced that i could overcome it mm-hmm. that i could push this thing up a mountain by myself yep. and then when it didn't happen i would be totally bewildered yeah and like i don't understand i can make i can make mountains move why couldn't i do this to make sense of it would be the only thing i would do is why did this happen is exactly what you are going through i wonder what other people might go through who don't have that optimist outlook, you know, if it is truly something that plummets them into depression. Did you ever go into depression? I I don't think I ever went into a depression. However, I've
1: said that about all my pregnancies. And then I look back and I'm like, yeah, but I did wear sweatpants every single day for a long time. So I don't no, see it as that's depression. Not the same. That's not the same. <laughs> I've been postpartum. That's not the same. Okay. So then I did not. All I right. did not experience depression. Um, but I did definitely pull back socially. Um, so at first I tried to kind of like just keep things going. And then I was like, you know, I just want to reprioritize how I want to spend my time. And so doing social things for a while and sometimes still, I'm like really trying to get back to that, but I don't
0: know. That's a part that of me that, changed i would say interesting so you became less social and you think that's because you were healing or was it because you felt unsafe or so that your understanding of the world is now different what what do you think i don't think it was feeling unsafe because everyone was really
1: supportive right it was a little bit of at first um maybe like being able to tell that people weren't sure how to talk to me about it Mm. I didn't know if I wanted to talk about it. I didn't, because I was still making sense of it all. I didn't know what to say about it, Yeah, you know? Um, And so it was just, I kind of took that energy and just focused it on my kids, I would say mostly. Like I really stepped up my game as a mom and like was able to be way more present with them and less focused on, I guess, like, I don't want to say like selfish pursuits, but like really thinking about like, What's my purpose in life, you know, where I struggled with that early when they were younger, I was really still like, okay, but what am I going to do for myself, you know? And then I think I feel like the last few years, which are just a strange um, period of time because the time went really fast and really slow at the same time. I kind of um, didn't put as much pressure on myself to figure that out. Right. To
0: just be where you are. Yeah. Which is uh, my mom. I think that is a struggle for a lot of women to just be where you are and that be okay. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you work or don't work or have a career, or don't have a career. It's an inner struggle. I Mm -hmm. think to go, I'm okay. Right, right here. Right. This is enough. We were taught, I think as women whose parents were in the, you know, women's lib revolution that you must achieve Mm -hmm. ABC and the, Truth is, it's really hard sometimes to let yourself not achieve that. Yeah. And to just go, you know what? I'm, I actually enjoy every Tuesday. I pick up four kids from school and give them a ride home. It's one of my favorite things that I do because I get to catch up with these three kids that I feel like are part of, they're like nieces and nephews because I've known them since kindergarten and now they're in seventh grade. Wow. And I, our, our elementary school and our middle school get out at the exact same time of day so I pick up all the kids who have siblings at the elementary school oh, wow. so moms can get the youngers and I take and all the kids love it so much and I go that's what I'm talking about yeah that's awesome I am creating a memory for myself and for these kids and a relationship with these kids that I feel so privileged to have mm-hmm. and I don't know that I had that perspective when they were toddlers I kept going mm I've lost. I've lost myself. Where am I? I can't find me. And to go, you know, maybe this is me. And the the old me is still here, Mm -hmm. but it's just not necessary in this exact moment. Mm -hmm. Maybe my purpose right now is something different, is to be a Girl Scout troop leader and to take 22 girls and say, let's learn some values and practice those values Mm -hmm. and learn how to camp and practice how to camp. And I love every freaking minute of it. And I still struggle with, seriously, Leanne? I mean, are you going to start wearing socks with sandals? What the fuck <laughs> is going on here? Are you really just, just a Girl Scout leader? Because you hear the voice uh-huh. of our mom's generation saying, are you really? My mom would say to me verbatim, if you become a stay-at-home mom, I will have no respect for you. Wow. That, those exact words. Wow. I will have no respect for you. So then you go... I've become the thing that my mother, I mean, obviously, caveat, my mom is crazy, but <laughs> still, that statement is in there yeah. where you go, wow, who else has no respect for me because mm-hmm. I'm choosing to be a stay at home mom? You're a damn
2: good mom,
0: though. I mean, well, I do overachieve. You, <laughs> I am an immersive human being. I don't really not immerse myself with yeah. <laughs> something, which is a curse, <laughs> but. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I mean,
2: we talked about this a little bit before the podcast started. Like it's, it's always kind of surprising that there are some people who are just winging it as parents because then there's people like you two who wake up every morning and you're like, okay, how am I going to be the best mom I can be? Right. Homemade cookies
0: today. Let's do it. Right. I can make the best homemade cookies on this block. I tell you that. I may be an overachiever, but I'm doing it here now. Right. (laughs) So another question about the beginning and throughout Mm -hmm. this process. Is your marriage, not just your husband, but your marriage. You know, a marriage is like a, to me, it's almost like a business. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not, that sounds very cold, but no, it is. I know what you mean. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. is a functioning of two individuals that are, are a single individual in some capacities. Mm-hmm. How did that change or did it change? Um, it changed in...
1: That I think I don't know if this is common or not, but I felt that our marriage definitely grew stronger as a result of this because we were both in really good communication the whole time and really like hearing each other's perspective, like the surgery thing. I mean, we didn't know what to do, but we thought we'd go check it out. And then once we did so weird, I just realized there's a camera there.
0: Oh yeah, you're on candy camera.
1: <laughs> I mean, I knew there, but I didn't like think about where they are. And then I saw the red light, and I was like,
0: "Oh, there's a camera." Oh, there's one like on me. There's one on you. There's one on me, and there's one on. Oh, this somewhere. is being recorded. Johnson has one somewhere. I don't know.
2: I don't know where it is. I've We're you know. here four all times, over.
0: Yeah. and I
1: still don't know where it is. Um, so anyway, it it definitely felt like we were on the same page, and and that we were on this mission together. You know what I mean? Like we were both like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna." We're going to do this better than anybody's done it. You know what I mean? We're going to nail it every step of the way. We're going to go to Houston. And when Houston didn't work out, okay, we're going to go back and make the most of these next few months and do everything we can to, you know, make sure that he's got the best shot at living. And afterwards, everything fell apart. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) I'm sorry I just realized how dramatic a cliffhanger that was and I was like afterwards um
0: (laughs) and then we divorced (laughs) so fuck that guy I can't stand it so now I'm on my fifth marriage (laughs) hey you should talk to my mom um
1: so no I was just gonna say afterwards it was it was still very much supportive because we both again if it had been that we were on different pages I think It would have been very challenging, but we both felt like, man, we gave that everything we had. Right. We gave that everything we had. We got to meet him. We got to hold him. Like, he is a special part of our family still. We both shared a belief that his spirit is with us all the time. Right. And I mean, when you have those things, it's not like, you know... When I had days where I was like, I just really miss him, you know, he would talk to me about it. I I really felt supported, but also that there
0: wasn't a lot of
1: drama as a result of what we'd been through. Right.
0: So I guess I was very lucky. Well, you both were. Yeah. Because it sounds like he received the same from you. Sounds like you were very supportive teammates for each other.
1: Yeah. Um, I
0: will say, I mean...
1: Again, this is kind of like on the on the spiritual spectrum because of what we'd been through and because I was like we did our best. I felt like after we should have been rewarded somehow. I don't mean like interesting. I I felt like things should be easier after that and we should just, you know, like that was the hard thing we were going to go through in our lives. But just all the life hard stuff
0: kept going (laughs) yeah yeah well that's interesting you say that because you have this heavy right yeah and then you're putting all the stuff all of us deal with on top of it which i would imagine would make it harder
1: yeah because i don't know I don't know why I had this expectation. I'm sure it was like some deep, like (laughs) bad theology. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you go through something bad, then you get something good. (laughs) And it didn't happen at all. I mean, I remember like in the months after, we realized we were going to have to move out of Santa Monica because we couldn't afford it. We were living in that teeny house. We couldn't afford a bigger place in Santa Monica. And I was like, Oh gosh, we're going to have to move out of the neighborhood and like find a new community. Like all this stuff where again, I was just like, I can't believe we have to <laughs> endure the rest of life now. Right? You know, that's so fascinating. <laughs> well,
0: really and fascinating. I, I talked to
1: um, like other people who've gone through a divorce and stuff I think I'm not the only one who has experienced that. where like, maybe in the divorce, you think, okay, I've left my husband. Now it's going to get easier. Well, no, because then you have to find a new place. You have to figure out and you know what I mean? It's like, there's always um, like consequences because of one thing that just, it just keeps the shit keeps coming. Yeah. It's like I, a
0: booby prize, right? <laughs> yes. You got the booby prize. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. I still have to carry all the stuff. That everybody else has to carry? Yes. I would imagine that's pretty normal to think that. You know, like divorce, it's a, a divorce is a death too. Mm-hmm. It's the death of that business slash relationship, marriage, agreement. Yeah, I I, I could see where you felt that way. Um, you know, they say marriages. I, I took this behavioral test with this guy a long time ago, Bert and I did. And he explained why people stay married, which was really fascinating. He said he can tell as soon as he reads a couple's test whether or not they'll stay married. Whoa. Because their value system match. Huh. Their personalities. Like, Bert is like 98% self-focused. I'm 98% other-focused. Like, both of them are unhealthy. Uh. (laughs) But when we got to our value systems, they lined up. And he went, this is why you're married. And this is why you'll stay married. Because... The personality stuff is just noise, yeah. really. You can get through the noise if that foundation of your value system is is um, compatible. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you have an incompatibility there, that's where I think people who go through Um, really tragedy like you went through fall apart is because their value system maybe wasn't in alignment to start with. So when you have this extreme adversity, it really puts a strain on that value system because then you go, well, this is what's important to me and the other person that's not important to them at all. So how do you reconcile that? That would be very hard, I would imagine. And I know people go through miscarriages and deaths of children and All sorts of terrible things and can't stay together, can't Mm -hmm. make it through. So that's a real testament to how your value systems really must line up. I think that I think that is spot on. And it's like
1: like you said, with the noise. I mean, when when we were going through this, it was like everything else gets pushed aside and you get to that. You get to the core values like, okay, we're committed to this child. No matter what, we're going to make sure. He has the best shot and all that stuff that you were just talking about, you know, it it becomes very obvious. And I'm sure, you know, for couples who maybe differ on their views of what to do in that kind of situation, that would be
0: extremely stressful. I can't imagine how they'd get through it. Yeah. So in this whole process from finding out through the birth and through Michael passing And your funeral. What do you think was the hardest thing you had to deal with? Hmm. Um, The hardest thing was
1: after he died, knowing what to say to people in person. Right. And I still remember we used to go to Bob's Market in Santa Monica. And it's like this cute little market that's still there. And the butcher See the butcher. He sees me every week. Hey, how you doing? Mm. Hey, how's your baby? Mm. And there's like three people behind me. And I have to say, oh, he had a condition and he died. And just the look on his face. I mean, it was like that over and over again for a long time. Wow. Um, And so I just, I think part of what I'm doing now in helping women tell their stories is because at that time, that would have been really helpful to me To be like okay how do you want to say this when you interact with somebody you know how do you want to talk about your child what's what's the short version what's the five minute version you know what i mean right
0: um let's talk about that right now because you know when i did my podcast on divorce that's what the divorce mom said yes and it is true i that was the thing that
2: i hated the most was seeing somebody that i hadn't seen in a while and having to tell them and i still have not told my housekeeper Oh, my God. I mean, she knows because my boyfriend lives with me, but I could not figure out how to tell her. And then... Like now I think I when people are getting divorced. <laughs> you didn't
0: tell your housekeeper. I didn't tell her. She's him. like, oh, we no longer have boxer briefs. Why did something changed in here? She
2: would sometimes ask me how Mr. Mike was doing. And I would tell oh her because I knew how he That's was doing. That's <laughs> so, really funny. I never knew that. I tell. couldn't think of how to tell her. And I mean, it's so awful. And this, my situation is obviously less dramatic than Anne's. But I wish that I had had a script in my head for all of those scenarios, the person that I haven't seen in a long time that I run into in the grocery store. I mean, I remember being at a birthday party with this woman, Ruthana, who is lovely. And I realized she loved me and she loved Mike and that it was going to devastate her. And I hid in the corner. My girlfriends who knew were (laughs) laughing at me. They were like, get out of the corner and go tell her. And I said, you guys have to go tell her for me. I can't do that to her. And to not only have a script for how you're going to tell it, but also the script for continuing the conversation in a comfortable way so that it, it's not just you tell them and then they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's you tell them and then you have a way to follow up and kind of change the course of the conversation. To
0: control the conversation. Yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> Jocelyn,
1: that was so helpful. I did a podcast last week. That was my first time being a guest on a podcast. And Jocelyn had the suggestion of think about how you want to what you want to say if it gets uncomfortable talking about Michael, because that was a podcast that was about like um, your career, how your career changes after motherhood. And so it wasn't going to be the main focus. Right, so I was going right. to talk about it, but it wasn't like the the whole subject. And I was like, that is a great, and I did have that in mind, but like, I wish I'd had that in mind <laughs> on day two after he was right. You know, after he was born. So,
0: um, so this experience with Michael, yeah. Um, uh after it was over, you thought there's something missing in in for women or for people when they lose a child. There's no tool. Is that what you thought? Tell me what you no, thought. No, I um, didn't think about it for a very long time. Yeah. And
1: um, I just knew that I did not use any resources or tools or anything. I wasn't really... Aware of what existed other than this support group at um, UCLA where he was delivered. And I never went to that support group. No. um, Because I was, you know, marching right back into my real life. So um, this past year, I was going to be ramping up my marketing business, which I do marketing for small businesses. And I was part of this group called alt MBA. And then I did a follow-up class called um, the Podcasting Fellowship. And in the Podcasting Fellowship, people are like, what are your your podcast names? And I wrote, mine's going to be Marketing Potluck. And I'm going to be talking about all different ideas of marketing and small business ideas. And I got one like. And I was like, oh, I thought that was a great idea. Right? (laughs) (laughs) So then I went on iTunes and I look at marketing podcasts. And sure enough... More than enough. Yeah. The world doesn't need another marketing podcast. And I don't know what made me think of it, but I typed in um, infant loss. And I was like, I just wonder, you know, like I'd like to listen to an infant loss podcast. Yeah. And the only thing I found were certain episodes of parenting podcasts. Right. And then there was one full podcast dedicated to baby loss and it was called The Joyful Morning and it's a Christian themed Mm -hmm. podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. So I just thought, oh man, I had never looked for it before, but that doesn't exist like a baby loss podcast. That's just about that for people who are going through that and feel really alone. Like yeah. that's when, you know, uh uh-huh. everything, yeah, the wheels yeah. start turning. Like I think I could do that. And so I just started exploring resources. I was talking to Jocelyn all about it. And, you know, I came to the conclusion that because I'm a writer The best way to use that part of what I do in helping women is to help them write their stories, tell their stories. Um, I like thinking of things that happen in a storytelling way. I guess, um, like, I like the idea of writing your life story, being the author of your story. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, all those things, I just, it just kind of came together so that I thought, okay, that's a service I would really feel useful in right um and that i feel kind of uniquely equipped to do definitely um so that that's one part of it is the writing of the stories and so it could be for like people who want to send an email announcement to their friends and family might be somebody who wants to write their story and turn it into a piece of artwork Mm. um or like a keepsake book Mm -hmm. um that's beautiful Thanks. It I, is. I, that's really beautiful. I I feel like they're it should be um
0: it it could be a helpful thing. It could be extremely helpful. It gives you a place to put your feelings. Yeah. To really place them somewhere and and then you can revisit them. Right. And remember, uh, that's an it's an amazing thing to do. And it
2: is one of the just speaking about resilience, it's kind of, it's one of the pillars of resilience is being able to tell your story powerfully. And so I love that you're doing this and you're the perfect person for it Hmm. because you're, you are naturally an optimistic person. Extremely. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And you know, the best thing you can do about someone you've lost, no matter how old they are, is to honor them, Mm -hmm. is to honor them with grace and gratitude and that's so graceful the way you've described the whole experience i kept thinking she handled this with so much grace there was so much grace and grace is a big word grace is a behavior but to me grace is also like um it's a spiritual word Mm -hmm. right and it's given to you it's it is yeah and it is it comes from a place of great humility you can't You can't have grace, I don't think, really, if you don't have humility, if you don't have some kind of recognition of your place in the planet, in the sphere, in the world. And I don't know, grace is a really powerful word I named Isla, Isla Grace, because Mm. grace just means a lot to me. And if more people just handled their day-to-day lives with grace and gratitude, when things like this come up, grace is natural. Hmm. Grace is not natural for a lot of people, I don't think. And grace is something that you, it sounds like you would be giving to Mm -hmm. people who came to you with this extreme loss, you know? Hopefully, but also what I've realized in working on this
1: is that so much is given to me by doing it. Right. Like, I get to talk about Michael Mm -hmm. when I never had an opportunity to talk about him before. You know, like, that's going to be part of a conversation I have daily, you know? Right. Um, and. I don't know, and just so you guys, I did finally go to my first support group. You did last night. You oh, shut you did! Up. was my first one ever. What'd you think? Um, it was really, um, emotionally. I, I didn't cry there, but it was really, um, emotionally trying. I guess is the word. Um to hear other people's stories and know that everybody's story is a little bit different. The way that they interpret the story is different. Their experience after is different. Um, I really liked seeing the couples who were there together. There were mm. two couples who were there and just seeing how close they were and helping each other. That was really beautiful. Did Mark go with you? He didn't go with me. We're divorced, so no,
0: the just- <laughs> 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 meaning to tell you, but I can't tell my mate. I just, so. I just I couldn't tell Jocelyn. <laughs> I told
1: everybody I couldn't tell Jocelyn. <laughs> um, no, he didn't come with me. I was the reason I was going there is I called this woman Gina Cornfind, um, who runs the group, and I remember her from this celebration of life ceremony that we went to. It was the only thing we did. Like that was a formal thing for him with the hospital. So we went to that and it was like, they had a reception. They read the names of the children who had died. They had a speaker. And so I thought of her when I was putting all this together and I was like, I wonder if she, you know, has resources that I should look into. And so when I described it to her, she's like, would you, would you teach a writing workshop for the group? I've been looking for them to do something creative, like a creative outlet for them. So I'm doing that next month, but I wanted to go and just see the vibe. Yeah. And so when I went, I mean, I realized I wasn't there as an observer. Like I'm also um, experiencing healing through this. You know what I mean? Um, So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to go back for the workshop, but then I want to keep going back. It's just crazy that like five years later, it would still be useful to me. But I think what I, will find more of is that a lot of the feelings that I didn't allow myself to mm-hmm. feel at the time will probably reemerge.
0: <laughs> Sounds a little bit like your daughter. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm, interesting. <laughs> Apple not falling far. You are so right. That's right. Maybe now it's safe. Maybe now it's safe. Wow. And having the opportunity probably to
2: talk about him doesn't come up too often No, in normal day-to-day life.
1: No, and I I hadn't known anybody personally that this happened to. Um, later, I found out that there was a mom at our school that this happened two years ago, but she and I have still never talked about it, even though we both know, you know, she gets my Christmas card. In our Christmas card, we mention Michael every year. Um, but we've just never had the conversation. I don't know. It just...
2: It surprises me a little bit because one of the things that I find so remarkable about you is that it's always been easy for me to talk to you about it. And like you did such a good job of keeping him alive and in conversations with your friends. And I never had that, oh God, what am I going to say to Anne
1: emotion. But I don't have a lot of friends, so... I'm special. <laughs> I'm special.
0: Remember, she shrunk her social circle after <laughs> you, this. You made the cut. You made the cut. We Thank kept you. talking. Thank you.
2: <laughs> but I do, for any viewers who have been through something like that, like you were a good example of you really communicated to people how to support you. Like that first email when you were 20 weeks pregnant... I'm probably one of the people who responded with sending good vibes. I'm sorry. (laughs) But you told us. And and like, I remember you came over to my house one day. I was watching your kids and you came over and you were like, I just had a breakdown and I kind of need to vent and I need you to not try to talk me out of it. And you said it much more gracefully than that. But it was so good to have those instructions. Like, I don't need to try to make Ann snap out of this right now. I just am going to listen to her.
1: I so remember that breakdown. Were you going to say something? No, nothing. I just said, right. Oh, I was just going to say, I remember that breakdown because I was driving to your house and my I was pregnant. So Jocelyn was watching my kids. I was doing some work. I was pregnant pretty far along. And I had been so good in the pregnancy about staying present and being like, okay, today is today. Everything's fine. And my mantra, I swear, my mantra was right now, everything's fine. Everything's fine right now. And on that drive to your house, my mind skipped ahead a few months, a few years. Oh my gosh, oh, what if he's um, like a vegetable and I just have to feed him every day? And I can't handle it. And what if we? What if I can't work and we need childcare for the kids? What if he's in the hospital for a year? It was like a flurry of all these thoughts that I hadn't let myself think about because I was trying to be present. They just all hit me at once. Right and. It was probably the closest I came to having an anxiety attack, but I remember I called Mark and I'm like, okay, I'm really freaking out about all these things. And I listed him and he's like, just don't worry about it. You know, there's nothing we could do about it right now. If it happens, we'll
2: figure it out. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And then I came to your house and told you. Yeah. By the time you got to my house, you were nowhere near having an anxiety attack. Okay. You were, Yeah.
0: You know, that's something that happens, I think, with people a lot. I think that we don't give our friends the benefit of supporting us. You know, when that's what friends are supposed to do. If you're having a bad day, I want that bad day. Give it to me. That's what I do as a friend. Now, if your bad day was every day and that's who you were, that might be something different. But you're clearly going through something extraordinary. So... That's what that's what friends are for. This is a real goofy thing to say. <laughs> Should we sing it? But I say that all the time. I have this one friend who does not ask for help ever. Mm. And I go, I know what's going on here. I know that you have ABC going on. I call you and say anything I can do. And you say no every time. It's bullshit. Yeah. Sometimes you need to say yes because you're devaluing my role in your life. Yeah, people want so to true. help. I, mean, I want to help. I'm calling. Do not
2: feel connected to you if you don't let them help you. And and I know sometimes people don't want certain kinds of help, right? But you can say to somebody, "Listen, can you be one of my friends that we just don't talk about this with? Can, Absolutely. Can, we be like, can you be a friend that goes out and gets drinks with me and we talk about something
0: yeah. unrelated? Here's yeah. what I need from you. Yeah. Once a week, we go get uh, our nails done." Mm-hmm. That's what I need from you. Okay, now I feel like I am here for you. And to say, I need to fall apart. I've had that conversation with my friends before. Listen, I just need to vent. Don't need any judgment. Don't need any, like, hey, solutions. Yeah. I don't need any opinions. I need an ear. To hear me spew because I know that half of what I'm saying makes no sense. Right. And just Kathy Fromkin is who I usually call and go, you ready? Here we go. Vomit. And then she goes, I got it. I hear you. I got it. I hear you. I totally know what you mean. Yeah, totally, totally. And that's all you need is someone to go. She's not even validating what I'm saying. She's validating who I am. Yeah, I feel like she's has going, she ever been you. on the podcast? Oh yeah. Oh, I gotta find. So those. much so <laughs> that people I think know she, Kat they Kat call Kat. her my sidekick. <laughs> All my listeners are like, "Where's your sidekick?" She hasn't been on for a while. Oh, and you know, there was a she's she never tells me no when mm-hmm. I ask her to do a podcast. And mm-hmm. she's a, uh, a social worker, so she's, oh, she's really good. good. Yeah, same kind of thought process, and uh, she's like me. She's very curious, and she's very open to other people's opinions. You know, other than her own, but yeah, you really, it, especially at times like that, have to let your friends help you, even if it is, "Hey, can I watch your kids?" Yes, you can. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. such a huge help, and it makes the huge. friend on the other end feel valued, right? Feel important in your life. It's it's um not that you need to take care of your friend, but to have the different perspective because with With my friend who doesn't let me help her, she feels like she's burdening me. Hmm. So she'll never say yes because she feels like a burden. That's incorrect. Yeah. Right. That's the problem. It's not that my friends are not burdens ever. They're just not, especially when there's something like that going on. Yeah, I mean, they're not a burden when they call and go, I just can't get off the couch. Can you pick my kid up today from school? Absolutely. Right. i have absolutely fine. I That's not a burden either. <laughs> we all need to do more of that because, again, we were raised in the women's lib era yeah, where we can all. basically, you know, what was that commercial? I can uh, clean up the kid, uh, make the dinner, fry it up in a pan. Yes. And never oh, yeah. Never let you forget you're a man. Remember that? <laughs> yes. I'm yes. a woman. Um, Mm-hmm. Well was was implying I can work and cook and clean and fuck you every night. Mm-hmm. Thank you cuz I can do all of that. It's yeah. just not true. It's abs- it's a myth. Definitely not the fucking. <laughs> <laughs> not every night, baby. Nope. But but yeah, it's it's not true. We we were we showed up on this planet as tribal people. Mm-hmm. And I think we have tried to become I am a pillar of one and it's just it's a lie. Well, you know
1: I found that because during that period I was so open to accepting help from people and even after he was born and died, people set up a meal train for me. I love meal trains. Heck yeah. Love them. I don't think I brought you a meal. Oh, that's okay. You did plenty. You did other things. But my point is... I'll still is, send you one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Just let <laughs> me Sunday know where would be great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, It made me like see more what I can do for other people when they need it, when they might not know. Um, so now I feel like I'm really good at setting up a meal train. <laughs> <laughs> right. But also like, um, you know, offering to bring a kid home from baseball or whatever. Like if you're able to accept it, it's no big deal to give it. And then people feel more comfortable accepting because you're, yeah.
0: you're modeling. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Because yeah. you're modeling. Because it's reciprocal yeah friendship mm-hmm. is it all comes to be. around exactly. no one ever ends up doing
2: more than their share because no. the friendship would dissolve
0: the friendship <laughs> would dissolve yeah. here's another thing that. about
2: this people who are reluctant to have you help with their kids it is easier to have other children around yeah. it yeah. is like i remember that i came down and babysat and i brought my juni i think yeah. with me and it was Junie and your three kids and i was like Oh, I basically just read a book because <laughs> right. the four of them were a band of
0: one. Yeah. They just got yeah, together. It's great. It is. It is yeah. It's much easier. Even mm-hmm. picking up at school, they rush to the car. Oh, so- you know how long it takes Isla Grace Chrysler to get to the car when there's not somebody else? <laughs> I'm like, lady. Yeah. Are you like crawling? Yeah. Uh, well, how so slow? And then on this day, on Tuesdays, Boom, boom, boom. All four of them show up like boom, 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 boom. My
2: daughter will do her homework if she has a friend at the house. I'm like, how about you guys do your homework? And my daughter pulls it out of her pack like she's been doing it all along. (laughs)
1: Let me show
2: you what I got She writes her name at the top like she knows how to spell it. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's true. (laughs) Oh, Judy. Here's
2: another. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Here's another. This is one other thing that I like really, really learned from this is that so often when people have experienced something like this, my inclination and probably a lot of people's inclination is don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And you, for whatever reason, like cleared that up very quickly that that wasn't what you wanted. I don't think you ever said that's what not what I want. But it just was so obvious that you wanted to talk about it and that It was like just easy to call you up and go, oh hey, like I gave you that book because it reminded me of Michael. Yeah, I can't remember
0: the name of it, and I really liked it. So
1: sorry, I can't either. I I remember, I remember the gesture.
0: (laughs) Well, then let me ask you this: How did you do that? Because on my divorce podcast, that was one of their big complaints is that people don't know what to say to them. That the friends they've had, one of the women on my podcast was a group was a a part of a large couple group, and now neither she nor her husband are in that group anymore. And it's so awkward when she sees anybody from that group, they don't know what to say to her. And, uh, you know, this actually came up in the support group yesterday. It did. Yeah.
1: Because I think um, people who are maybe, who maybe didn't have take the initiative to tell people how they want to communicate about it. People are not saying anything to them, including Mm -hmm. family And it's very, very hurtful to them. Right. Um, But at the same time, they didn't say, hey, here's how we're going to talk about it from now on. Right. So they said that what has really been helpful to them is people who will just out and out say, I don't know what to say here. I really, I don't know how to make you feel better, but I just want to listen. If you want to talk about it, I'm here to listen. Right. And so the friends who are just able to listen to them talk about it or just even open the door to that possibility, maybe the person's not going to take you up on it and maybe just say, oh, thanks. I don't I don't feel like talking about it. But just, again, just the gesture, just showing that you care enough to say, you know, I'm sure, you know, like on Mother's Day, that was a big thing because Mother's Day just happened. And so these women said, you know, there was no acknowledgement of my child by my mother or whatever it was. And that's really, really hard for them. And so to be able to do something like just say, hey, you know, I was thinking of uh, Robin today and how you must be thinking about her and how are you feeling today or whatever. Um, I don't know. I, I don't even know the right way for every single person, but I know that if you're unsure, you can just bring it up. And if they don't want to talk about it, will probably get that message pretty quickly.
2: And I think that if you're on the end of the person that it happened to, obviously I haven't been through what you've been through, but when Mike and I split up twice and the first time that we split up, I did not want to talk about it. I talked to you about it, mm-hmm. but I didn't talk to very many people about it and I lost friendships and I hurt a lot of people. And in retrospect, I wish- why would they be hurt if you don't want to talk about it? Because I didn't tell them about what was going on. I just said we split up and I don't want to talk about it. And I think this it's real- That's what you said to me.
0: And I went, okay. Yeah. I think it's it's really hard to feel,
2: I think it's hard to feel intimate with somebody. Intimate is maybe the wrong word, but it's hard to feel connected to somebody when they're not disclosing anything about their lives. And I wish, I wish in retrospect that I had not like upfront, I had said, this is what's going on. These are the emotions that I have about it. It's really important for me to keep myself together. And so I'm not going to talk about it. Um, what you can do is A, B and C. Uh, And so, hmm. and I think in, you know, it's, it's in any situation where something is, is causing people to have a hard time communicating with you. It's really good to be able to like know that script ahead of time. Like, Hey, Mother's Day is coming up. And I mean, the, the responsibility should not be on the person that it happened to, but, but if you can say Mother's Day is coming up and, you know, Please acknowledge it.
1: But that's part of it is that in our culture,
2: we don't know how to address
1: right. some of these things. Right. And so until we get to that point, yeah. it is on
0: you to teach somebody what you want, you know. Um, well, you know, I'm reading this great book called It Takes Two Minutes to Build Resilience. Hey. Great book. <laughs> and uh, last night we read the one about taking care of your needs. Uh-huh. Which is, you know, know what your need is, and how do you get that need met? Right? It is not really another person's responsibility to get your need met, especially if that other person doesn't know you have that need. Yeah. Right. So, like, how could you possibly read your mind if I have no idea what you need? And it's such an emotional, sensitive, vulnerable subject, as shitty as it would be. To be the the person going through that to get your needs met could be, I don't know, as simple as sending an email to everybody saying, here's what I need. I need you to be okay when I say I can't talk about this. yeah And I need you to be okay when I say I need to talk about this now. I need you to just be open or mm-hmm. whatever it is that you need and express or express, I don't know what I need. Mm-hmm. So be patient with me to be communicative is not something that's natural for a lot of people anyway either because i think at least where i grew up you don't want to burden anybody with your bad feelings or problems you know mm-hmm. they send a meal and then that's oh i've did my duty is how the perspective of the person going through when that's not true you you've all been on the other side of someone in your community passing away not even as close as you and wanting to be there for that person but i guess just communicating your need is one of the ways you build resilience, yeah, and it is necessary. I mean, I would never presume. T- I'm I'm the person you described. Where I, when my friend got divorced, I said I don't really know what to say, and I don't know what you need. Yeah, but I'm here. You want to go have a drink? You want to go have a chat? You want to go to the park? You want to go for a walk? You want to laugh? You want to talk about it? You want to talk about it? I'm cool with all of it, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what to say. Yeah. And uh, she said something like, I don't really know what I need. Yeah. So then at least we know, okay, we both (laughs) don't have a clue, (laughs) but you know, I'm here for you. Yeah. So if you need it, just call me. Exactly. And she knows
1: that you're there for her when she's ready.
0: Right. Yeah. If she's ever ready. And I don't need to be there for her, her Mm -hmm. person. I just need her to know that as a friend, I'm here. But I don't need to be that person. Yeah. Like with you and you said, I don't want to talk about it. I don't need to be the person you talk to me about that. I just need you to know I'm here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm good with whatever you need because I'm not going through anything. So, you know.
1: Well, and what you said about, you know, losing friendships because you weren't forthcoming about what you were going through. I have recently thought of some friends that I I guess I kind of dropped because I didn't keep them in my inner circle. And now I would like to have a friendship with them again. Right. But now it's on me because maybe they didn't know what to say, but I wasn't reaching out to them either. And so now it's my turn to, I'm going to have to do this, call her up and say, hey, I've been kind of, you know, retreating the last couple of years, but I really miss you. And I hope I didn't hurt your feelings and I'd love to have dinner. I'm like gearing myself up for that conversation <laughs> because I'm not looking forward to it. I don't know, but I'm I'm I also have like all these ideas of what she thinks of me mm-hmm. in as far as like did she think I was mad at her or that I that she wasn't supportive? Does she feel bad that she wasn't more supportive? You know, it's like I'm making up all these stories. Maybe
0: she's totally fine and just says, "Okay, great. Let's go to dinner." Just giving you space. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, assuming things gets us all in trouble. Oh my gosh, it? I do so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I spelled that yeah. word out for Isla the other day because she was filling all these assumptions. Yeah, and I underlined ass and you and me, and I said assuming makes an ass out of you and me. And she went, "Oh, that's good. I'm going to use that." That's she thinks good. you made it up. Yeah. She's like, "My favorite." <laughs> She's like, "I'm going to use that. I'm using that." I was like, "Yes, yeah. don't assume anything ever. If you have a question, ask." Yeah. Hey, are you upset with me? Hey. Are you playing Dungeons and Dragons without me? <laughs> Do you guys play Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, Isla's hardcore Dungeons and Dragons. Whoa. Hardcore. It's had a bit of a resurgence at her yes. middle school. She has a club at school. <laughs> they I mean, they're like, I had to buy like four different sets of dice. I mean, it's, Whoa. it's for real. She's come some kind of jellyfish person that shoots jellyfish tentacles. As like arrows. I mean, they got ice. It's nutty. There are like entire streaming shows
2: dedicated to people just playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I don't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm like, this sounds really boring. But Oh, no. No, not to. I I know it's not boring just based on
1: how enthusiastic the people who play it are about it. But I don't know... (sighs) It's and no, it? it's
2: Candyland to me. Like, I don't know any difference between that and Candyland. Right. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, that sounds miserable. It sounds
0: complicated. That's why it, I stay away from it. Okay. There's a lot of like, I, I don't really understand it either. I, you roll the dice and it determines what kind of decision you now have to make. Okay. And this is, as I understand it, anybody who plays Dungeons and Dragons that are listening and I'm screwing this up, I apologize. <laughs> You're going to get so many this letters. This is what was explained to me by my 12-year-old, right? So they have this group and they roll the dice to determine like what kind of person or who they are. But everything's really happening in like a medieval time frame. Uh-huh. But somehow <laughs> she's a jellyfish person in medieval times. I don't know how that works. Probably some roll of the dice. Yeah. But I guess the roll of the dice determines what kind of decision you have to make. And sometimes the roll of the dice determines that you have died. Okay. Um, so you can actually be killed in this context. There's a lot of imagination that happens. It's a lot of creativity as I understand it from Isla. And she's highly creative. So it's Mm. a perfect fit for her little brain. Uh Um, And yeah, it's uh, there's another... How old is she? 12. 12, okay. She'll be 13 in the summer. There's another boy down the street who's been hardcore into it for like two years. And he has they like every Friday night. It's like all night, this group of boys just plays Dungeons and Dragons. And he tried to get his mom and his sister. His sister's George's age. And his mom and sister were like, don't get it.
2: Totally don't get it. We Maybe rolled I'm the start dice. We didn't get
0: it, right? Yeah, it
2: anyway. actually it, it does actually sound fun. Um, but I remember when I was a kid, people like in my community thought that it was like worshipping Satan. Oh, it was really? so Same wrong saying. to play yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, and so now it's this kind of socially acceptable thing. I I don't know what I think of it. I'm like, are you killing people? What's going on? Because Is it still satanic? According to <laughs>
0: Montana standards. <laughs> yeah, Montana's <laughs> is really bad. <laughs> it was bad in Georgia too. It was it was of funny? the devil. Yeah. But huh. it's just a bunch of dice. Right. But of course in Bowden, Georgia, poker was of the devil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, people still played it on the side. Yeah. So I don't Someone know. in my family
2: sent me an article about how yoga is of the devil. Too.
0: <laughs> I saw that recently.
1: <laughs> that I was like, No, come no, on. Uh-uh. That's a real stretch. It really
2: is.
0: Oh. Pun? Oh, pun? Pun? Good uh, job, uh, man. Uh, that was a good pun. That was a good pun. In my church sex was of the devil, unless it was to procreate. So wow. I don't believe God made you feel that good when you had it to not use it. That's just my own opinion.
1: <laughs> um, there's this great movie that came out a few years ago, but I just saw it. Caption Fantastic. Have you guys seen it? No. Uh-huh. <sighs> anyway. You should watch it. But what you just said reminds me that the dad is like very matter of fact with his kids. Even his little like four year old is like, daddy, what's sexual intercourse? And he's like, uh, it's when a man puts his penis inside a woman's vagina. He's like, why would he do that? Uh, for their mutual pleasure and uh, to propagate the human race. <laughs>
0: like, <you're> just, <laughs> right. Just Wait, I have
2: seen this one. Oh, I think I have seen it. Is it they're the one they live, off, they the live yeah, yes. off the grid. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I
0: love that movie. And I think you'd like it. I probably would. Captain Fantastic. Yeah. I remember when it came out and I, I just got by me. Mm. It was one of those that you just didn't You make. would love it. I'll have to I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So, do you uh, you you have a, like a full-blown company? What's your
1: uh- My website is onwardstories.com. So, a fun thing that I just put together for the website. Um, you know our friend Julie? Mm-hmm. So, Julie's daughter was born on the same day as Michael. Oh, wow. And every year I mean, I think every year, maybe like every other year, she would send me an email on her daughter's birthday and say, I mean, talk about like taking initiative and being a great friend. She would say, hey, I'm just thinking of you today, thinking about Michael, and I hope you're doing well. Aww. I mean, she did not have to do that. And it was so incredibly generous of her. And so when I hear about people saying like, no one acknowledges my child's birthday or acknowledges me on Mother's Day um, with this email software I use, I discovered that you can send people an email on their birthday. So I thought, what if we made it so that someone could receive a card, a digital card on their child's birthday? So that's what we built. That's we put amazing. In your child's name, your child's birthday, and I'll send you a card. That's fantastic. Um, so if you go to onwardstories slash wife, okay wife. Wife. Um, then you'll find out like where,
0: where you can put your information in. That's amazing. Isn't that fun? That is a great what a great service. Thank you. I feel like I mean I'm gonna use it. You're so smart. (laughs) I'm gonna send a card to myself. You should. (laughs) Well, talk about glass half full because I don't know if this was the reason that that Michael passed through your life, but what a powerful thing to come out of it. Mm. To make a choice to take that tragic, terrible time and pay it forward really. You, to to help other people cope by writing their own stories, by getting a digital birthday card so they have some acknowledgement on that day. That's so powerful. Thanks, Leanne. Really healing and just beautiful.
1: Thank you so much. And well, thanks for having me on here to talk about it and talk about him. And I mean, I know it was maybe not um, your
0: usual topic, but um, I really appreciate you having me on here. No, I'm so... Uh, grateful that you talked about it that's uh, there's so many what I keep hearing from people who listen uh, when I do topics like this or depression or even though I did one a long time ago on autism and dyslexia Mm. is that there people are hungry who have been through that to find something similar because, like you said, you didn't know anybody else mm-hmm. at all who had experienced anything like that. So there are people all over who I don't over. know anybody else. I and know. that we I don't like that. Yeah. I think that yeah. you should that uh, we all have a common experience. You know, I ca- I ca- didn't experience what you experienced, but I've experienced loss mm-hmm. and and extreme disappointment and thinking, It was going to go my way, like you said, and it not going my way. Mm -hmm. And so many people can relate to just that. And even I know I kept correlating the divorce, but even though it's it's not the same, they're both loss and they're both full of grief. Oh And they both have social kind of, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say stigma, but people don't know how to handle it socially. So even though we talked about your experience there are so many other people I think that don't have that experience that can relate to the process of having something terrible happen getting to the other side and how do you build from that because that's what you did is you got through this and started building even with going to the group session last night right that's another building and that will inform how you help people write Mm-hmm. their stories it will inform everything else you do it's a it's a beautiful give on your part I think people don't think about the give that needs to happen with each other in a community you know mm-hmm. I talk about the stuff with my mom probably partly because it makes me feel better yeah. but partly because it's a give mm-hmm. because when I found that first book where I realized I wasn't the only person that my mother was, then my mother fit in a box, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I thought she was just this crazy wackadoo person that had no box. Mm. But when I found a box, I went, oh, my God, there's other people. Right? There's other people that understand what I went through, that I'm not the only person who suffered through this borderline personality disorder mom. Yeah. That made me feel so much better and less broken. Right? Um, So that's what you just did is offered – another avenue for someone who maybe doesn't even have your experience to feel less broken and less alone because we're not we're not really broken no but and we're not alone and we're not alone mm-hmm. and there, we shouldn't feel that way yeah so thank you for sharing thank you yeah thank you for jocelyn for recommending it yeah, yeah. she thank was you, like jocelyn. i got a good one for you oh, thank <laughs> well you so here's much.
2: how i feel about Anne too i mean when this all happened like ann and mark are the last people in the world that I would wish this upon, but now I look at it and I'm like, these are the perfect people to have handled this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm so glad that Michael had you guys as parents. Thank you. And I wouldn't want it to be anybody else.
1: I, I know what you mean. I mean, I, um, I mean, I think about how his life was really short, but man, he he was totally
0: loved. You know, right. From start to finish, mm-hmm, that's so. <laughs> amazing. And what a gift for you, yeah, to be able to love that person mm-hmm. and to see him and hold him and yeah. have him make it to term and have two days that you could give love. It's about the give, man. The give. We don't give enough in the society these days. It's always about what about me? Yeah. What about <laughs> me? What about me?
2: I'm so glad you're doing this podcast me too. too. Just. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You didn't know I was this uh, holistically hippy-dippy, did you? I didn't talk about this in tennis. So I do believe that. I believe that if we focus more on giving and grace and gratitude, we'd have a much better world mm. instead of what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. No, you don't agree with my side? Then your side definitely sucks. And it's not yeah. true. It's not. It's absolutely not true. There's common ground in every human being. Mm-hmm. You can find it. You're a good person to um, bring that to light, I feel. You think so? Yeah, I do. Oh, that's very nice. Thank mm-hmm. you. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate it. Thank you. And I'll put your website on my website.
1: Okay. 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 Thank you. What do we do now, Lee?
0: <laughs> <laughs> now you just stand up and walk away. <laughs> <laughs>